Listening to That's Pretty Dark. The podcast where we talk about all of the entertainment that scared us as children and still haunts us as adults. So grab your flashlight and join us as we take a frightfully nostalgic look over our shoulders and under our beds and in our closets. And together we'll realize, well, that's pretty that's dark. That's pretty dark. Here lies Cynthia Snell. She lived her life and went straight to... Oh, I can't read the rest. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. The grass is covering it. I can't move the the grass. I can't see it. You got to get down in there. You got to really get down in there. (laughs) You don't want to get too close over the grave. You don't want to, like, kneel down on top of it and, like, start digging around. That always feels super disrespectful. I never know how to act in a cemetery. For as much time as you and I both have spent in cemeteries in our lives. Oh, yeah. A lot of times. I have no idea how to act. I'm going to confess that here to everybody right now. I will say. And then you find yourself, like, you actively try not to walk on, like, graves that you see. Then you find yourself standing on top of one. Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, because that's how this world is built. There are bodies on top of bodies on top of bodies. Everywhere you go, dead man's bones. Bodies all the way down. Yeah, bodies all the way down. Yeah, look up <laughs> dead man's bones. One of my favorite bands. That's Ryan Gosling's band. Is it? Have ever really? sent you their stuff? No. Yeah, that's Ryan Gosling. You've been yeah. holding out on me. Wow, I can't believe I've never sent you that. Mm-mm, never. Not that I remember anyway. Yikes. That's the kind of stuff uh, I do remember, to be fair. Uh, you'll, you'll remember something. Anyway, I'll send it to you later. But anyway, well, my name's Christian, Oh, first of all. my name's Kaylin. This is That's Pretty Dark, <laughs> the, the podcast, your favorite podcast. Oh, yeah. If I'm by myself, if I'm wandering around the graveyard like you do, you know, with a coffee in hand or something. Sure. Or another beverage. Or a different choice. type of beverage, you know. Mm-hmm. I will, out of respect, some weird unspoken respect, I will try to avoid yes. the actual turf sure. over the grave. Same. As best I can. Same. All my life. I don't intentionally do anything like that. I don't even know why, to be honest with you. I'm going to be like, I have a weird memory of when like a grandparent passed or something when I was younger and my parents told us not to walk on the graves. Well, no, it's, I mean, it's considered superstitious. Like it's considered disrespectful for sure. I mean, we probably should have looked up that superstition. (laughs) Maybe I should have done that as part of it because I didn't do any research for this. Yeah, uh, I'm prepping for a movie. I have to start working in like four days. We've had a weird... A weird week, but it wouldn't be week. us if we didn't, would it, guys? You know, I will avoid graves on my own, but if I'm working on a movie, which we have filmed many times in graveyards now, mm-hmm. they just, we just set up camp. On top of them? On top of everything. It's like, Man. you need to put your water bottle down, put it on top of that grave. They think that the dead are going to feel the way the living often do about films, which is, wow, amazing, exciting. Mm-hmm. You can film on top of my grave. I, I give people permission. When I go to my grave, <laughs> if you need to, you know, set up a camera or a video village, something dignified, then you can yeah. do that on my grave. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, we, now we have it recorded. So this, um, yeah, for posterity, know, for everything. For po- but yeah, the for reason posterity. that you read the Cynthia Snell gravestone, mm-hmm, that one in particular, is because yes. that is a gravestone in this episode of Hey Arnold that we're talking about today. <laughs> yeah, it is. The Ghost Bride. The Ghost Bride, man. I love this episode. It's a good one. It's it's fun. It's heavy. Like it's just it's very heavy. It's very brutal. It's one of the darkest ever. Like of Hey Arnold of any children's media that I remember watching as a kid because mm-hmm. I do remember watching this episode. 
it is truly one of the darkest. We'll get to that. We'll get to that. I'm gonna yes, we will. Gonna load you up with some facts. I'm gonna take you on some weird rabbit trails to the same corners of the internet that I went to, and we're gonna learn more about ghost brides culturally across the globe. Honestly, it's gonna be. Ooh. A wild, spooky ride. You were telling me it's going to be kind of like when we did our um, ghost train episode, the haunted train for uh, mm-hmm. Hey Arnold. Yes. We broke down a bunch of different ghost train, different types of stories and lore. Basically, yeah. In addition to the episode, I have a bunch of little like vignettes of ghost stories like you did. Yeah. So I'm going to get you to read some of those at the end. It's going to be oh hell yeah, exciting. I'm and I will give a disclaimer up top while we're talking about that. We did like a whole deep dive of the history and production of Hey Arnold as a show, as well as the creator, Craig Bartlett, um, and some of the other folks that were really behind the scenes working to make it happen mm-hmm. back in our Headless Cabbie episode, which was one of our earlier episodes. Yeah. Um, so if you need more context about Hey Arnold or you're curious about any of that, that is definitely available in that episode. <laughs> and that was fun as we talk about ghost carriages and the dull hen. It is fun. And, and then banshees. after that, you can just go ahead and binge all of our Hey Arnold. You can go to the Haunted Train episode and then you can uh, yeah. end up right back here. With the ghost ride. You can just skip, hop, jump your way through our three episodes so far. <laughs> mm-hmm. And we've got so many more to do. Honestly, I had trouble choosing because I was considering doing um, Pigeon Man this time. Yeah. But I settled yeah. on Ghost Bride because I found all of this crazy stuff mm-hmm. and thought it was worth exploring with all of our friends who are listening <laughs> to this. <laughs> yeah. As we've said before, uh, Hey Arnold is particularly good at introducing like numerous types of urban legends and ghost stories to its like canon, the canon of its world, its universe. Absolutely. And more so than I think any other show has probably done. I mean, I would agree. Maybe not, but of, of the more realistic shows, mm-hmm. it seems to carry a lot of this weight. Like of the slice of life shows, I would yes. say. Yeah. Because I wouldn't even, I wouldn't consider like, are you afraid of the dark, you know, as a slice of life show. Hey Arnold is meant to immerse you in the lives of mm. these kids in this neighborhood. Right. And it just so happens that part of life is these urban legends that are spooky. and These little stories. Yeah. And I think yeah. that's way more true to like how it felt growing up when we would come across these legends and stories oh, as yeah. kids. That one person says, you guys ever heard about this one thing? And you're like, yes. oh no, tell us. Yeah. And it? they turn on the flashlight under their, Those are the best times. under their face and they tell the story. And that's, that's the vibe that we're all about here. So mm-hmm. this is mm-hmm. a, an exciting episode to get into. So this episode first aired during the show's fifth and final season on November 11th, 2003, Mm. and it was the 22nd in the season and the 98th episode of the series. Wow. And that's out of 100 total episodes. They had a total, they had a full 100, huh? They had a full 100. Damn, that's cool. this was, like I said, one of the very last episodes to air, but it was also the very last spooky episode. Mm. So this is really kind of the culmination of what they were doing in terms of like urban legends on Hey Arnold, yeah. which is crazy to me. 2003. The final one. The final one. 2003. And don't listen to Paramount Plus or wherever you're getting your episodes because every everywhere has different lists and I just, what's the word, aggregated all of it down to <laughs> <laughs> what I assume is true. And it was at least in the last few episodes that aired right. with Hey Arnold. This is as true as we can be. Fairly confidently. Looking at something that existed 30 years ago. So IMDb also did not have a summary. Oh yeah, it didn't have a summary at all? It didn't have a summary at all. Whoa. So I whipped up a little something. I'm not you sure how I feel about some, it. You can let me know. Cooked up a little something sweet. If you haven't been here before to That's Pretty Dark, it is often a competition with Christian and I uh, writing <laughs> different summaries for the episodes that we cover. Yeah. So... 
We'll see how you feel. Let's hear it. It's better than mine. I don't have one. <laughs> the gang finds themselves passing up a cemetery, and in true Hey Arnold fashion, Gerald imparts an urban legend involving an axe-wielding bride scorned. Of course, it just so happens that today is the anniversary of the murders that she committed, her former groom, and the sister that stole him away. Dum, 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 Will dum, their attempt dum. to catch a glimpse of the ghost bride land them and their own budding toxic masculinity on the sacrificial altar? <laughs> I don't know. Could be better. <laughs> no, I liked it. I liked it. It's fitting also that you're doing this episode because, you know, this really is more of a guy's thing. This is more of a fella's thing. Right, of course. I don't know if you really picked up on that, but... Oh, I have so much to say about that when we get there. No offense to you. Being a woman, you can't help Just it. Just more of a guy thing. But this is more of a guy oh thing. God. Me and the boys... <laughs> I'm kidding. I don't really have any guy friends. <laughs> <laughs> the scene there, the way that I felt, the rage that I felt, and I don't think it ever struck me like that as a kid because as a kid, that is how people acted. Yeah. It was totally normal. And now looking back at it, I'm like, oh, no, no, no. Um, but we'll get there. We'll get there because it becomes a plot point And I appreciate it for what it is. We'll get all up in that. And saying all that, I'm going to be honest and admit that I had pretty much forgotten the core plot of this episode before I rewatched it. Uh, but the scenes in the cemetery came back to me immediately. Mm. Um, and like it's I beautiful. said, it's, it's one of the darkest episodes of children's entertainment that I can recall because of the number of murders <laughs> and the unflinchingly grisly nature of said murders. Yeah. Um, and a trigger warning, uh, suicide as well. That's true. My God, and I yeah. I think, yeah, it's a lot. It's a lot. It's not even just murder. It's murder-suicide. Um, it's a lot to it. Yeah. And I think that they said the words hacked to pieces or hacked to death at least yep. like five to six separate times. Bloody axe? Bloody axe. Over and over they say Lord these phrases. mercy. So I don't know. I don't know what the Nickelodeon executives were were on because they. I mean, like one time I can see it, but when they repeated over and over and over to the point where it was in my head as a kid because they repeated it over and over. Right. I don't know how I feel. That's that's a lot. It's pretty dark. <laughs> it's pretty dark. Maybe maybe more of a like. This is our. I don't know. One of our last five episodes. Let's just let's just do what we can do. Maybe yeah. Since it was the last spooky one, they were like, we're not going to try to push the envelope any further. So let's just see. The show was already done, basically, but at that point. So. And granted, I recognize that the repetition is mostly done for comedic effect. Yes. So, depending on your sensibilities, this episode could, as a kid or adult, really pack a punch or an axe. <laughs> really swing your axe, you know what I mean? <laughs> oh my god. Although this story probably skews more toward urban legend than real verifiable event, even in the canon of Arnold's Hillwood, where he lives... I have to acknowledge that, especially with Cynthia Snell's grave being undeniably present, yep. it likely also functioned as a gateway to true crime for many of us, as we grew up hoping to mm. escape the tragic fates swirling in literature and media. Yeah. Ooh, it does have that true crime flair to it. I think so. I like that. It's kind of, well, it's like a ghost story born out of an actual exactly. crime that existed, like happened, like a tragedy. Yes. It's like very Amityville. The whole haunting came from the tragedy. Mm -hmm. Because there is a tragedy, but then de decades of, you know, people talking about it turned it into this ghost story. The true terror lives with that original story of that crime that was committed. Like mm -hmm. all of that nuanced energy and mm -hmm. emotion, that darkness there. Passion. That came, the, the passion that came from that original murder. Yeah. Is what's truly terrifying. And it's always kind of forgotten. 
Yeah. By the ghost. A little bit. Like there's an echo. We say that a lot. And I think that that's why, that's probably why it was a ghost story, of course, because kids tell ghost stories and ghost stories are a little bit more palatable. Um, That's probably why it was presented as a ghost story. But this also, like you said, this happens all the time. Mm -hmm. Um, There are many, many tragedies. And as we'll we continue through the episode, I'll share some real ones with you that do wrap up in sort of a ghost story at the end of the day. Oh, I can't wait. And this is a brilliant segue into uh, one of my first few tangents. So bear with me. But I want to remind everybody how true crime originated as a genre of media. Mm. I don't think we've really done that yet. And I'm really not sure how we made it this long. (laughs) (laughs) By definition, True crime involves exploring crimes that actually happened. Uh, It's intrinsically tied to what we think of as urban legend, in which there are often crimes committed. But in those legends, the who, what, when, where, and why details get much more murky. Mm -hmm. But it is important to recognize that the lines and the Venn diagrams definitely blur with each other. They inspire one another infinitely. Yes. And true crime a.k.a. the retelling of factual events, shows us that sometimes the most heinous things, the things that we hope could only be conceivable in imagination, do unfortunately prove true. Yeah, I mean, how many times have we have we tried to find that true origin to something we've discussed? Like, oh yeah, when we did, try uh, to follow, you queen? try to follow the thread to the end, right? Mm-hmm. Um, that's something that you and I both do a lot. What episode was it where you talked about um, that urban legend with the um, the, the babysitter mm-hmm. and the caller inside the house? We, we talked about uh, that true, actual story that it probably probably inspired the urban legend. You know what I mean? I don't know because we talked about the babysitter trying oh, to rescue. No. You know what it was? It was uh, it was Are You Afraid of the Dark? It was um, Zebo. Zebo. Because he makes that it call. It was Zebo because he makes a phone call. You're exactly right. It was Zebo. Like that was when they invented 911 or why they invented 911 was because of that case or one very similar. Hmm. Wow. Yeah. In the early so, 20th century. This is nothing new. We've talked about this from the very beginning. From our first episode, we talked about murders that inspired the stranger danger of the 80s. And that brought us to the 90s. And that's why we're here today talking about this kind of stuff. Because yeah. it's all just, it's part of our reality, as unfortunate as it is and as tragic as it is. Yeah. That's why we're, that's why we're here. So I found an article on celadonbooks.com by a woman named Jessica Dukes. And I thought she outlined the origins of true crime really nicely. So I'm going to pull a lot from her, you know, article, what she said. Mm-hmm. But I, I think it's interesting that we chronicle this alongside all of the, really the true crime that we've explored so far. Because there yep. are incidents of true crime in a lot of the episodes that we've covered. Let's do it. Including some of that candy tampering that we talked about in October. Man, <laughs> the Halloween series. Halloween series was good. Go listen to that. It's fun. If you're like me, you'll have to wait till like next October. <laughs> yeah, Christian can't, it. whoa, Christian whoa. can't <laughs> listen to things out of order. It's not a possibility for him. No, I can't. Out of season, I should say. Out of season, no. Mm-mm. Way back in the pre-Renaissance days when the literacy rate was fairly abysmal, <laughs> folks used to relay information about really everything, but especially sensational crimes, the way much of history was imparted, orally, and in the form of what they call murder ballads. Murder ballads. Many of these originated in Scandinavia, England, and Lowland Scotland, uh, which suggests Germanic origin. Yeah. And within the context of the British Isles, murder ballads were only found in English and Scots-speaking regions, which means they're not a feature of Gaelic or Welsh language music. Hmm, okay. So it was the English speakers that did this. The Anglos, huh? These are our ancestors, really, England and Scotland. All right. That were creating these murder ballads because they wanted to share information about these crimes 
And for some reason, <laughs> they decided to do it in song. Is this why you'd have like a bard going pub to pub, singing songs about I different historical events? I think maybe the bard events? was first. Okay. Like the advent of that type of uh, performance was first. And then they just started adding in murder ballads about, did you hear about so-and-so down the road and how they got, you know, killed by their Makes sense. ox at the <laughs> auction? I don't know. Impaled it up. by the ox at the auction. <laughs> Emphasis on the ox at the auction. That was really why I said that. Because That's why they had axe, ox. They had didn't oxes. play, so you don't have to try to make it play. <laughs> we can accept that I just made a bad joke. Ooh, I like okay. It. I like so it. as an example of a murder ballad, I can go into this. It's a little bit um, cerebral. You'll have to bear with me because it's just going to go into the this other story that is not related to Hey Arnold and the Ghost Bride. Love it. But it's one of the earliest murder ballads that was recorded. Christian, are you familiar with the Gosport tragedy? No. It's also known as the Perjured Ships Carpenter. No, I don't know about this. I want to. What though. about Pretty Polly? Oh, Pretty Polly sounds very familiar. It should. Okay. I couldn't tell you what it is. That's kind of the reaction I expected, so I feel like I'm on track here. Yeah, all right. <laughs> it's one of the earliest examples of this kind of true crime. And according to Wikipedia, this story tells of a young woman that's lured into the forest, killed, and buried in a shallow grave. Most variants name the villain as a ship's carpenter who promises to marry the girl, who's named Polly in some iterations, mm. but murders her when she becomes pregnant. Oh, wow. Kind of a corpse bride situation. Kind of, yeah. Then when he goes back to sea, either he's haunted by her ghost uh, and confesses to her murder, or he goes mad and dies, mm -hmm. or because he's stubborn and doesn't confess to the murder, the ship won't sail oh. due to a storm conjured by her ghost. Oh, I see. So very um, uh, Jonah. Kind of, yeah. On the ship and <laughs> they throw him overboard because God's angry at him. Mm -hmm. Yeah. When you're on a ship that won't really sail, there's a big storm and like you're all going to die, you don't tell people that you're the you're the, the reason because they're that. just going to throw yeah, you over it's going to be over for you real fast <laughs> real quick uh, anyway <laughs> so in the case of the gospel tragedy or uh the perjured ships carpenter again a lot of names to this sure um but it's all the same story this is all it's the, all same, the same story it's all okay. the same origin kind of it's just a lot of different iterations over a lot of different years gotcha um, gotcha gotcha but in this case he denies the murder, and he is ripped to pieces by her ghost. Ripped to pieces by her ghost. Holy shit. The ballad has 16 verses of eight lines, and most copies agree that the events of the song took place sometime in the 1700s. All right. So the first printed version came around 1727, and it tells of a man named Bilson his murder of his pregnant girlfriend and his time aboard a ship called the MMS Bedford. So it ties it back to a real event. This okay. written version. So wait, the the ballad itself came before this written version, but the written version is based on an actual provable crime? Yeah. Whoa. I don't know that the ballad came before it. Oh, you're just... The ballad just... They don't know when it originated. They can't this pinpoint when adjacent. the oral version... Or, yeah, it's kind of adjacent. It kind of was all concurrently happening. There was a ballad and there was a written version that Correct. was based on a, on a true crime. Correct. And the only Got dates it. that I have for certain are regarding the written version. Okay. And the only details that I have for certain... This is all back in the Middle Ages about 80 years ago, so... Yeah, about 80 years ago. Uh -huh. <laughs> about, yeah. about 80 years ago. <laughs> According to Gerald. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> so in the written version... Uh, a ghost confronted a seaman named Charles Stewart in the dark hold of the ship with a baby in her arms. Seaman. <laughs> and when... When... Ca <laughs> I gotcha. When... <laughs> You're thinking about seaman now. Yeah, yeah, I am. That's not fair. 
When questioned by Captain Edmund Hook, Captain Hook, huh? Quotes, the real villain saw the ghost of his lover before him, fell to his knees, and confessed to the ghastly crime. He later died aboard the ship, presumably of scurvy. Dude, ugh. And Wikipedia, which, you know, the Bible, yeah, yeah. Uh, also confirms Irrefutable proof. that a ship identified as the Bedford often lay at Portsmouth, as in the song, and an author found evidence that a ship's carpenter on the Bedford by the name of John Bilson died at sea on September 25th, 1726. Damn. And there was a man named Charles Stewart among the crew members at that time, as noted in some versions. Huh. So the elements of the song are somewhat verifiable. It's just super cool that there's like so much evidence that it, you know, yeah, like was it, a real thing. Yeah, like it happened, but then there are all these different offshoots of it. So mm-hmm. some versions don't don't have the details that are the quote unquote correct ones. Right. It's like a story that became passed down, you know. Yeah, yeah. In which case, the story was resurrected in the American folk song Pretty Polly in the 1920s. Which then weaves into Appalachian tradition. Oh, shoot. Yeah. Okay. And in fact, many American murder ballads, which you probably know some, Uh are modified versions of old world ballads with any elements of supernatural retribution removed and the focus being transferred to the crime. Just, yeah, just the crime. Or the vengeance enacted on the criminal. Uh Uh-huh. Uh-huh. I personally will have more to say about murder ballads once we've heard about the ghost bride, but it sounds like you have something to say about murder ballads. (laughs) Now. Yeah, buddy, you better believe it. I mean, I don't, I don't have any like research to back this up because I didn't really know you were going to talk about this, but um, I have had this weird niche side project in my mind. Like if I ever find you a 25th have hour. a thousand niche weird I really side do. projects in your mind. I really need that 25th hour of the day that other creatives seem to have when they get mm-hmm. things done. I don't get it either. No, I don't know where it is. I think I only have like 21 or 22 hours in my day, so I don't really know. <laughs> Honestly, you have up. more than a lot of people because you don't sleep at night. <laughs> I'm lying in bed trying to sleep, so I'm not getting anything done. Anyway, but I have wanted to build a playlist, like a master playlist that is uh, complete and exhaustive of all these types of uh, murder ballads you're talking about from like from the American tradition, because those are mm-hmm. the ones I've heard come up, pop up on random playlists, but it's like it's like a one-off. Yes. There's not, not a bunch of them. Listener, I'm sure that you're familiar too, and I wish that I had more examples of them. Clearly, Christian knows several, so maybe we'll give some more. I'll have to find, um, i have to look them up, but they're very folksy. It's they're always, very, yeah. They're, they're acoustic, and they sound very, it's very old, but it's all like this beautiful harmonies, these beautiful mm-hmm. sounding songs. About terrible, terrible things. And it's like, oh my God, what, Ooh. what are we Ooh, talking I have about a, here? I have an example. And these things just existed in American pop culture as just folk music. Yes. It's all about murdering women. All sung by men. Weird. It's crazy. It's crazy. And we're just like, oh, this is, God, have you heard that new slapper? Okay. Break out my spoons. So there's a song called You Missed My Heart. Um, If you don't know me, you probably do know this. If you do know me, one of my favorite artists is Phoebe Bridgers. And she has a cover of a song called You Missed My Heart. And I've never looked into like where it came from. Um, But it is a cover. It's actually only a cover from what I can tell right now, 2013. Okay. Um, But the song is all about... A guy shooting, and it's the the pronouns get confusing, so you can't really tell who's talking, who's sh- doing the shooting, who's doing the dying. Like it's really confusing. Yeah. But the chorus is like, "You missed my heart. You missed my heart. You got me good. I knew you would, but I you have missed my heart." Heard this song, yeah. And it's all about shooting somebody. So it's it's really a classic murder ballad at the end of the day. <laughs> yeah. That's it. Man, it's just it one really example is. of of many many songs like that. That's way um, cool. That all come back from that tradition and that need to tell history verbally. So you know what we have to do now? 
make a playlist. We have to make a playlist. We have to. We have no choice. Listener, if you know of a song like this that we're talking about that would qualify as a murder ballad, which I really think the only criteria is that it's about somebody being murdered. <laughs> <laughs> it's a song about somebody getting murdered or um, being put on trial for murder. Sure, yes. Or being executed for some murder they exactly, committed. Exactly, exactly. Because like I said, in, in more modern traditions, they kind of remove that supernatural part of it and they talk more mm-hmm. about the proceedings after the fact. Yeah. And whether, you know, the person was brought to justice. Okay, so I know I started the timeline like in the 1700s, but to take it back even further, talking Whoa, about true crime, remember, further. I know we've been on a journey since then. We're discussing the origins of true crime. Oh, I know where you're going. All right. So in the 1600s, execution sermons were another very early form of true crime writing. I didn't know where you were going. Never mind. <laughs> I was going to say, do you know about execution sermons? No, but I want to. You, I mean, you you will very soon. This, these so, are things you'd think I would know about. I, I assumed you would know every bit of this. I literally was sitting <laughs> no. writing these notes thinking, Christian's going to be so bored listening to me talk about this. First of all, if I did know about it, I'd be just enthralled. You'd and still I'd be, be just <laughs> right there with you talking about it because this is these are the weird things I find while I'm researching for other stories. Yes. Things I'm working on. Mm-hmm. And I will just lose my lose my mind this because one, yeah. I can't believe these things existed and I love it. This one I fascinated me because I do have yeah, if you if you are new here, I have a lot of religious trauma. Oh yeah. And I come from a very, very conservative background. So mm-hmm. this was like strangely really spot on for me, or I've, I understood it very quickly. Yeah. But execution sermons are exactly what they sound like. Uh, preachers would deliver these sermons, um, especially popular with like Puritans in early America. Checks out. Just prior to a criminal execution. They love death, those Puritans. They do. They love it so much. Obsessed. These sermons would often focus on the ruinous path that this criminal led and how one could escape that fate. Basically cautionary tales, if you will. Yeah. Okay. They sometimes even distributed printed versions, and with time, uh, interviews with the criminals were often added to these execution sermons, including scandalous confessions. <laughs> so basically, the earliest true crime podcasts were sermons. That's insane, because, you know, as we know, these criminals don't embellish at all. They don't try to tell you all the things that they've done. They're not proud <laughs> of their crimes. They don't try yeah. to make it sound better than it actually was. Of yeah. course, why well, would Better they do being that? relative, very relative. Yeah, well, um, you know. You know, more you know impressive, I mean. more horrific, honestly. But that's wild. That's so crazy. Yeah. Execution sermons were really one of the earliest types of true crime. Damn. And yeah, because, you know, everybody in the village was going to that sermon, going to church, because if you didn't, you were pariah. Yeah. You had to go. Or you were the outcast. You had to go. You had to hear it. Even if you didn't believe, you had to go. You had to pretend like you believed. Because mm-hmm. that's what society was built on, was faking it. Damn it all. <laughs> oh, wait. It still is. Oh, are you um, saying that... Are you saying that reality is a simulation? Are you trying to tell me that none of this is real? That we've you love to get on we've the stage. Christian this? loves to talk about how reality is a simulation. Like the rules are made up and the points don't matter. Are you I telling me? I am saying that. I am saying that, and I really think at this point you could do a montage, like a vocal montage of every time you've said that. You or I have said that on this podcast, oh, and it would be really funny. It's all just a big old episode of whose line is it anyway? If only that were true, because I think this simulated reality would be a better. <laughs> Uh, situation. <laughs> so modern true crime has evolved from the broadsides, crime pamphlets, and penny dreadfuls, which yeah. were just basically cheap paperback books of the 1800s. So I know I jumped around. I went 1700s, 1600s, yeah, I mean, 1800s. Just let it happen. Let it happen. Dangerous words. <laughs> Always. These were a strange mix of sensational journalism and narrative storytelling, yep. and they became super popular. 
Even authors like Charles Dickens and William Thackeray were also captivated and tried to explore mm-hmm. humanity's capacity for violence in their novels. Yep. In the article, Jessica Dukes says, Crime fiction flourished in the 18th and 19th centuries, but it was not until 1966 that true crime reached a new level of readership. I'm going to give you a hint. Harper Lee. Okay, To Kill a Mockingbird. Well, yes. But her friend... Truman Capote. Truman Capote. In Cold Blood. Correct. <laughs> yeah, In Cold Blood. Wow, yes. It did It did launch mm-hmm. sort of the true crime, the modern true crime genre yeah, of nonfiction exactly. true crime books. In Cold Blood by Truman Capote changed both the way authors wrote true crime and the way critics reviewed it. It's a kick-ass book. Yeah, they called it a hybrid nonfiction novel. And, of course, the book centers on the 1959 murders of four members of the Clutter family in mm-hmm. Holcomb, Kansas. Yep. And I actually didn't know this because I knew of those murders and I knew that Truman Capote wrote about it. But Harper Lee actually accompanied him to Kansas for research and helped him to interview all the involved parties. Really? I yeah. didn't know that. So they they like tag teamed this and worked together to get the Interesting. research for the book. Huh. But this style of true crime writing pioneered by Truman Capote is possibly the best link our current true crime style has to the past. Because they use a narrative-driven template and they place readers and listeners at the scene of the crime with all of their senses rather than just simply listing facts. Yeah, it was very immersive. It's it's a beautifully written book. I mean, it goes into all the detail. It's dense. It's not very thrilling. Yeah. Comparatively, it's not very thrilling because based off of the sensational true crime, it's been written ever since then. Mm-hmm. Um, but for this to come out, it would have been just like a, a harrowing read. Absolutely. So, we've kind of discussed the history of true crime in a very confusing fashion. Thank you for your <laughs> patience. But I think the differentiation for the purposes of this Hey Arnold episode comes with knowing that while Cynthia Snell, which, as Christian said, is the bride's name. It's great to... God, I, can't, I still can't read it. I can't, you can't read it even now? No. Uh, I can't even guess what it might be. <laughs> while she and her crimes may have been real, like we said... Decades of discussion around it and speculation produced the urban legend element in the form of her ghost, which Mm -hmm. is just like it happens in real life. But that being said, I'm getting ahead of myself. Let's continue discussing this episode. I just can't like, I can't separate this from the Haunted Mansion. Oh. And I know, I know that you're going to talk about it, but like. I'm 100% going to talk about it. The bride with the veil and the axe and everything. Like Mm -hmm. I can't, Mm -hmm. it's in my Mm -hmm. mind, the first thing I thought was, holy shit, this is just. Constance Hatchaway. Inspired by Haunted Mansion. We're going to go there. Don't worry. We'll get there. This episode was storyboard directed by Tuck Tucker, who Christian discussed um, having directed Haunted Train. Rest in peace, Tuck. Too bad he's not Tuck Everlasting. I hate myself so much. Why didn't you say that during Haunted Train? Oh, God. I don't know. I didn't think about it because I wasn't as mentally ill then, I don't think. Mm. Yeah, you, we've devolved for sure. <laughs> well, just the just twenty. It's twenty twenty three. If you want to learn more about how harrowing this year has been so far, go join our Patreon. Five dollars. Oh $5. yeah, we did talk about it on there. Okay, it was also storyboard directed by Kurt Dumas, who gets storyboard credits on many iconic episodes, including Monkey Man and Arnold's Halloween. The animation was directed by Christine Kolosov who was super hands-on with the animation of this show from the beginning. She directed the animation for dozens of episodes, including The Headless Cabbie, and was credited in some way on all but two of the episodes of Hey Arnold overall. 98, huh? 98. (laughs) It was written by Steve Vixton, who was one of the show's co-developers, along with Craig Bartlett and Joel Ansola Bear. Nice. 
And I don't think I got to mention him much last time, which is kind of a shame because he wrote the most episodes out of any of the writers, 65, Whoa. including being credited with the lyrics in the episode, Mr. Wind Goes Country, which I really <laughs> like that episode. <laughs> oh, what's that country singer? Uh, oh, Randy Travis. Is it, it's is it Randy, Randy Travis. Travis. Yeah. Yeah. It's Randy Travis. Is Tra- it for sure? <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah. <laughs> I trust you, but I'm Googling it. It's Randy Travis. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> How did I remember that? Holy I shit. don't know. I'm impressed with myself. Okay. Of the spooky episodes that we love, he also wrote Arnold's Halloween and Weezen Ed. Damn. My funnest fact, though, about Steve Vixton is he actually voiced Oscar Kokoschka. Oh, no. God, <laughs> Crazy. the worst And character. Oscar makes... Oh, I hate... I, uh. I think he's one of my most hated fictional <laughs> characters of all time. <laughs> oh, Arnold. Oh, no. I need the $5 on my Patreon. <laughs> Oh, Arnold, do you have $5? I have a Patreon. I know you do. I know you have $5. I saw your grandpa give it to you. That was really good. Oh. Damn, you're on your impression game. (laughs) Yeah, I got to have something. I got to bring something to the table. You know what I mean? (laughs) So, yeah. So, Steve voiced Oscar, and he also voiced uh, Caesar, who was that gruff guy working in the background of whatever space was featured in an episode like the fish market or the carnival. He had like the apron on. He was always chopping something. Oh, I don't, I know what you're talking about, but I can't yeah. remember any of it. Yeah. yeah. He was in a lot of like several episodes and Steve Vixen voiced That's him fun. whenever he was present. That's super fun. Steve Vixen also wrote multiple episodes of Rugrats, Recess, Duckman, and The Simpsons. Damn. Unfortunately, my least fun fact about Steve is that he passed away in 2014 at the age of 53. Of That's not deck. fun at all. Not fun at all. No. And I feel like that's just, probably like, had a fun gravestone though. Oh yeah, I wonder what his says, man. But I feel like a lot of our Hey Arnold legends are gone too soon. That's really sad. I will also give some more voice actor background here. Other than Arnold, Helga, and Gerald, since we didn't get to talk about a lot of the supporting characters before mm-hmm. in our previous Hey Arnold episodes. And do keep in mind, I'm referencing specifically this episode because they did swap out some of the actors, like I said, when their voices changed um, yeah. and different things like that. So not all of the supporting cast, not all of the actors that were um, featured as supporting cast are here, um, especially not the girls. I don't even have Phoebe on on this list, which is sad. Well, she wasn't in this episode. But she wasn't so. in this episode. So by this point, Arnold was voiced by the aforementioned Spencer Klein, who Mm -hmm. has woefully few credits. And I'm not trying to start anything, okay? Like, this is inflammatory. I recognize (coughs) that, but I'm just going to say it. He's not my favorite Arnold. No, me neither. He's not. His voice just isn't, it's not my favorite Arnold. He he fits the, like, Arnold vibe and the style. Yeah, he does. Oh, yeah, he nails it. He does exactly what he's supposed to do. He was directed super well, but I do think he is probably my least favorite Arnold voice and it's nothing against him it's just that I think of Arnold differently and I think it's also in part because you know this was the last season this one of the very last episodes that aired Mm -hmm. um I was getting older at this point so I was watching it but I don't um, know the yeah I don't know how much of this season I would have seen yeah so Harold I feel like I've talked about it before but I couldn't find it in my notes so I'm going to reiterate he's voiced by uh Justin Shinkarau who did 71 episodes since his voice changed prior to production on season one. So he got to keep his role through the run. Um, And he has a ton of other credits, including 19 episodes of Erie, Indiana. Okay. Charlie Brown in its spring training, Charlie Brown, uh, 11 episodes of where on earth is Carmen San Diego (laughs) and as Eddie in Lloyd in space. And he was also narrator for a 1996 goosebumps audiobook, revenge (sighs) of the lawn gnomes. 
No way. Mm-hmm. I love his voice. I love Harold's voice. He appeared on everything from Fresh Prince to Home Improvement, Recess, Totally Spies, Kim Possible, and he reprised the role of Harold for the Jungle movie, mm-hmm. the Arnold Jungle movie. Wow, what a Along career. with a good chunk of the original cast. So this kid was like everywhere. Yeah. Stinky is voiced by Christopher Wahlberg, who also seems to have done the bulk of his work, if not all of it, as Stinky, 70 episodes. Nice. Um, he was Timmy in Little Giants, and he was credited as a boy on one episode of Frasier. Oh, wow. All right. I can't remember if I talked about these guys on Headless Cabby, so they're just getting double shout out. And I mean, they deserve it. Yeah, I don't know if we did. Sid was played by Sam Gafaldi, who was credited on 58 episodes, though he also voiced Billy and Iggy. Oh, nice. He appeared in shows throughout the 90s like Touched by an Angel, The Mommies, and Jag, as well as a TV movie hmm. called Where Are My Children? <laughs> <laughs> that was just funny to me in light of like some of the promos that we've talked yeah, about on the show before. It's Where are your children? <laughs> Where are my children? <laughs> Okay, I was excited about this one. All right. Eugene was voiced by Blake Ewing mm-hmm. and that in this episode and five other episodes. Only five or six. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it he may have changed actors. His um, voice sounds so similar to what he used to. Wow. I know. Jeez. You might know Blake Ewing as Waldo from The Little Rascals. Okay. Or Derek from Full House. No Michelle's way. Friend. Yeah. Yeah. Even as a kid, I remember recognizing his voice, what the and I don't think I could place it. And That's so I said, I, I said, duh, out loud when I read that he was the voice of Eugene in this episode. I was like, I knew I knew that voice. Duh. It's Derek. And last but not least, and this one blew my mind. <laughs> I don't think you're even re- remotely ready for what I'm about to say. <laughs> Let's find out. And I'm building it up now, but oh my God. Curly, for only two episodes, including this one, was voiced by Michael Welch. A.K.A. Mike from Twilight. Holy shit. I did. Oh, what? Really? Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Yeah, I had to double check it. That's if why. I'm wrong, That's insane. <laughs> again, please yell at me if I'm wrong at any point. But and you didn't say duh to that one. I didn't Jeez. because I was shocked. I didn't think that guy had ever done anything <laughs> else ever. <laughs> He's done a few things, actually. What does uh, Helga say? What, twisted oh, oh, yeah, little... I have it. She calls him a twisted little freak. <laughs> <laughs> twisted little freak. Uh, and then I just want to sing Harry Styles. Okay, and I have one last production note. Speaking of singing, um, we have to shout out the incredible Jim Lang, who composed the majority of the music for Hey Arnold. Mm, my man, Jim Lang. Because he really made this and many episodes for me. Oh, yeah. If we haven't done a deep dive on him yet, I think we'll get an opportunity during one of our future Hey Arnold treks. Because at this point, I'm sure you're ready to get to the episode. <laughs> yeah, I did and talk about- And we're ready to take you there. I did talk about him during Haunted Train because- all um, signs point to him voicing the mad engineer in the haunted train. Ah, uh, yes, so yes, I did, did talk I about that. him a little mm-hmm. bit. I don't think I went into like his entire life story or anything, but gotcha. there is some information there. Yeah, he's a cool dude. Clearly, if he was doing this project. So now that you have some production background and you have some background on true crime, let's walk through the episode together, and I will continue to sprinkle in some of the folklore and. facts and fables throughout. So I just want to say that really the only notes I took besides making little notes of uh, the gravestones I could read. Oh yeah. Which I will, I'll mention those when we get to a gravestone. I did not make notes of that. (laughs) But the other thoughts I had were this episode should have been like an extended Halloween special. Yeah. Like they did for Arnold's Halloween. Mm -hmm. That was a full, I guess, half hour. Right. It took the whole to two parts it took the right, whole, of the yeah. typical Arnold. The episode. whole episode, not just the segment. 
This should have been twice as long. Fully agree. It moved way too quickly. Like mm-hmm. once the legend is unfolding, everything happens like beat after beat after beat. It's true, which is um, why I have time to tell you all about it. <laughs> yeah. And it's like maybe that was intentional because it was such gruesome material and they maybe, needed to kind maybe, of yeah, like- Maybe, they just wanted to gloss. Yeah. Like maybe they wanted it to be mm-hmm. a bigger thing and then the network was like, no, you can have your standard 12 minutes to you know get through that as soon as possible. But- that was just my main thing was I wish this was twice as long. I wish they'd taken their time with it and been able to really- That's also really... because we are us. You know, like this That's is true. what we care about. This is what we like. I mean, yeah. But, but like, if they were going to made... do it once for Arnold's Halloween, why not do it for this? It was made for people like us. Yeah, you're right. I don't know. I just think it like- You're right. Like, it, like I said, it moved way too fast for the level of mature complexity that it had to carry with it. And it had way too much potential to be cut so short. Yeah. Like, it could have easily been one of the most frightening and revered episodes of terrifying children's programming, you know, but like in a really good way. I think it makes that list, but it's probably not high on the list because maybe people don't remember it. That's what I'm saying. I just, I think it could have been a a bigger deal, a bigger thing that had like promotional material. Like it could have been out there. Mm -hmm. Like, because Arnold's Halloween is talked about. It's talked about because, of course, it was referencing like a really big cultural thing. Sure. But yeah, you're right. But this could have been a really big, scary, like Mm. ghost bride episode that, you know, took its time and really fleshed out that eeriness. But mm-hmm. it moved so fast, you almost didn't have time to really fully experience the haunting. I know. But you may be right. It may have just been such like a um, gruesome thing to describe. They were like, we don't even know if we're going to get away with this much. So It's let's even just more brutal than- it, Like you send a rescue text and you throw your phone across the room. <laughs> <laughs> Do you want to go out with me? Check yes or no. <laughs> throw the note across the room. <laughs> just throw your phone. <laughs> Maybe maybe they had reasons for it, but maybe. it's it's definitely the more more brutal than even headless cabbie. Oh, I agree with that mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, it's the most brutal we've covered so far. Mm-hmm. So let's dive in. Let's dig in. Let's dig in because it's a grave. Mm-hmm. Let's, dig, let's dig into these graves. Our episode opens with Arnold, Helga, Harold, Sid, Curly, and Stinky strolling by the local cemetery, Hillwood Gardens. Mm-hmm. Stinky says, Well, you might as well get used to it. On account of we'll probably all be buried here someday. Okay, maybe. <laughs> right up top, they're hitting us with no yeah, wonder. But eventually, I we're all going to be dead. So right? Yeah. And how right poignant. There. How poignant is that for off like a one of the last few episodes? One of the last few episodes before the show and one goes of the, off the first air. lines of a children's show mm-hmm. in general. We'll all be buried in that boneyard one day. By the way, kids, just in case you're wondering, yeah, <laughs> you too will die. <laughs> Whoa, all right. Memento mori. You were gonna say morte, yeah. To say morte, that's not right. I could I could tell. Yeah. <laughs> I could feel what you were gonna say. Memento mori, because That's st- wrong. My mind Memento went to morte. And then Why? you stopped and I was like, You're gonna say morte. You know, you can read my mind. It's scary. We've been doing a lot of that. <laughs> yeah. Mind melding. That's what happens when you co-host a podcast together. Oh, no. We'll start looking the same. Oh, God. Our, we'll have we'll have our hormonal cycles synced up eventually. They will sy- I mean, they have synced they up. They actually have been. <laughs> yeah. The number of times years. we've been like, uh, you can't be having a bad day. I'm having a bad I'm day. I'm having the worst You're gonna day You're going to have ever. to be better than me when we record tonight. Like, tonight. Yeah. We do that often. We're very much- Ooh. We're very much on the same pattern there. Yeah. 
We're all going to die one day. Just we're so all going to die. So that's the energy. We'll all end up in their, their boneyard. <laughs> Sid mentions the story of the Ghost Bride, and that What's piques group like interest. Ghost Bride? Ghost Bride? Who's that? You mean you've never heard the sad, tragic, and horrifying tale of the Ghost Bride? Curly wants to tell the story because it's his favorite. Why, Curly? I don't want to ask that question, uh, but know, why? He's just a twisted little weirdo. <clears throat> Yeah, freak, like a, whatever she's to that, twist a little freak. Twist, but the group freak. agrees that Gerald is the better storyteller, which frustrates Curly. <laughs> Curly, honestly, he always this is a deep seated thing for me. He mm-hmm. always freaked me out. Anyway, I don't know if it's because you can't see his eyes, or yeah. because he's called Curly and there's no sign whatsoever of a curl pattern on his head. <laughs> I don't know, but uh, well, he's Curly, always been. I don't like him. He's and always it, been the kind of crazy weirdo kid. Like he pulled the fire alarm in like the first yeah. or second season. He he barricaded himself in the principal's office. He was making demands. He was the ball monitor. But <laughs> balls, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> but like he's he's always been the harebrained little freak, little weirdo. Which is not a great representation for mental health issues. Well, because I'm a harebrained little weirdo. No, you're not like Curly. And you're like, a harebrained. Yeah, maybe not. But like ours comes from like ADHD and anxiety. His comes from like he's got a screw loose. Like he's, he's got, got something. What? He has a screw loose. A screw loose. Yeah. What do you I think mean, I said? Some people would say that I don't know what he said. <laughs> I'm not I sure mean, I want to. I've been made fun of many times for taking walks through graveyards, but it's a normal mm-hmm. thing to do. Damn it, people do that. Some people do that. Yeah, we we just talked about how normal it was. I love how that we we had a full discussion <laughs> about how normal it was, and 90 percent of the people that turned this on are like, I just like what the f- what? Yeah, no, I got made fun of a lot for a long time. I can and think of a lot didn't appreciate it. of different things and not that to make fun of you about. Uh, there are lots of things better. to actually make fun of. Yeah, not that. No. One of the first things we did together was go to a cemetery. I know. <laughs> Ever. I know. In, in, our, in the origin stories. <laughs> Crazy. Anyway. It doesn't bother me anymore, though. Clearly. Clearly you're over it. I'm past it. I'm past it. So speaking of getting past things, <laughs> <clears throat> Gerald tells us. 80 years ago, you know, back in the Middle Ages. Back in the Middle Ages. There was a woman eagerly awaiting her fiancé at the altar, but he never showed up. Then, the very next day, he married the woman's sister. And in the flashback, we see this happen at a church across the street from the original church. (laughs) Dueling churches. And I have many (laughs) questions about this because how did... Okay, how did no one, none of their family or friends, knew about this and like no one let told her, her wait at the altar for hours? And then conversely, how did they all know to show up the next day for the sister's wedding? <laughs> and I mean, okay, like I could see this working if we're talking about like an elopement. Right, like they're at the courthouse. Yeah. With not not all the like, you know, to do and the, and the, and the, the rice and the right. flowers and all the stuff. Um, yeah. No, in the visuals, the we're car. both in churches full of people a day apart getting married to the same dude, mm-hmm. which he doesn't show up to the first one. But anyway, strange. And also, you're not the bride at the altar. Correct. You don't stand at the altar. Also true. The bride doesn't stand at the altar and wait. Whatever. No. That's not a thing. Whatever. It isn't in modern weddings, but who knows what they did back in the Middle Ages. (laughs) This is also just the story as told by Gerald, you know. It's true. (laughs) On to the dark stuff, though. Gerald says that the next night, the angry not-bride put her wedding dress back on and retrieved an axe from her basement. She then walked 13. 13 blocks. Of course it's 13 blocks to her sister's house. 
and murdered her sister and would-have-been husband with the axe as they lay asleep in their bed. Their marriage bed. Their wedding yeah, night. Yeah, on their wedding night. So, well, like, actually, was it on their wedding night? The next night. It was the says. next night. So it should have been. Next night. Yeah. I mean, at least she got to wear the dress a second time. Most people don't get that much wear no, out, see, of their, out of their wedding dress. I was about to say is any like not bride, mm-hmm. when they put the dress back on, that's when I'm scared. That's bad. I'm You're very right. freaked You're right. out. That's bad. I am that's bad. almost more unnerved by her putting the wedding dress back on. Than murdering her 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 not husband and her sister with an axe. Damn, that bothers me more for some reason. It is unnerving because it's not supposed to happen. It's the first telltale sign that something has come uh, unhinged. Something is wrong. Something's wrong here. Something's wrong. When she dons her wedding dress again, her not wedding dress for her not wedding that didn't happen. If you're not a bride and you're wearing a wedding dress, it scares me. Fair. But this does not apply to people who put on wedding dresses prior to weddings that do happen or weddings that aren't intended to happen. For example, in the episode of Friends when uh, <laughs> I was gonna say, unless Phoebe, it's Friends. Monica, and Rachel have <laughs> wedding dresses but on. But see, that's comedy. That's more comedy. That is a satire. It's a commentary on how women are expected to marry by 30. And so then and- they're literally conditioned to think that, that has to happen to the point that they get depressed if... You know, they're 25 They're depressed that they're not married, so they put we'll on wedding dresses. I have so much to say about that. We've got some bridal discussions. <laughs> but we've got to keep going to get are you through gonna, this episode. Are you going to talk about the story you sent me, or is that just for my benefit? I am not planning to. That was mostly just for your benefit. You're not going to talk about that? Oh, my I, God. I have 10 pages. Can we just do a, a bonus episode? Yes, about because that. Because that sent me down a, down a rabbit hole, and I you spiraled, and then I began to spiral. I was terrified. We were both. You almost couldn't sleep that night. Yeah. You found a story. Okay. Guys, if you're wondering whether or not you want to pay $5 for our Patreon, we're going to do a bonus episode and cover this one story. There's this one story that I didn't put in my notes because it wasn't exceedingly relevant, but it did have an element of relevance. Let's just say there was a wedding dress involved. like that sentence that I just said? It's a really confusing sentence, but yeah, there's a wedding (laughs) dress involved. I read it, I was terrified of it, and I sent it to Christian, and I didn't really put it in my notes because I didn't have time, but Christian is now saying we're going to... Record it anyway. We're going to do a bonus point, episode. So. Shivers down my spine. God, you I guys. thought about that for days. Yeah, days. you're not going to want to miss that. Nights, really. <laughs> anyway. But we ain't going to give away the milk because then you wouldn't want to buy the cow. And I'm saying. Oh my God. Talking about Hate sex. that analogy. Hate oh, that analogy. Let's go back. <laughs> that, that triggered me. When you just said those words, that like triggered. <laughs> anyway. I'll give okay. away the milk. So we see the shadow on the wall as she does the hacking. With a knife in the bed. We see the hack. We see the hack. (laughs) We see the axe hacking away at the couple, which is pretty dark. We see the shadow because you can't show the actual murder and you don't see any blood splatter. That would have been sick if there was a big like. No. A shadow of blood. Oh, no. There's a big across the wall. They didn't do that. It was dark enough. So somehow the police show up and they find the not bride. They find Cynthia sitting in Hmm. a rocking chair next to the bodies. On screen, we only see a dress and shoes draped over the bed, which is strange because when she entered the room, there was no dress and shoes because the people were in the bed. But she rearranged anyway. things. She had all night. Perhaps, perhaps she created a tableau. Yeah, she did. Ooh. she's throwing rice, smiling, and humming the wedding march. Oh, 
it's honestly, this episode is a little bit sickening. It's a little yeah, bit. That's more uh, than a little bit sickening. Unsettling. That's incredibly sickening. You might um, even say that's pretty dark. <laughs> that's what's in my notes. That's pretty dark. <laughs> oh, man. But Yowza. I'm going to pause again and you're going to hate me because everybody's like, just tell the just tell story the that Gerald story. tells. But you're going to appreciate this because this is yet again another fun fact brought to you by Kaylin that you're going to be able to bring out at your next wedding party, wherever you <laughs> happen to be. Your next, next wedding you're at. You're going to be able to tell about, this fun fact. Please talk about this urban legend at the next wedding you go to. No, no, no. You're not going to talk about the urban legend. You're going to talk about this fun fact that I'm going to share with you. <laughs> okay. The song that Cynthia was humming is also known as Here Comes the Bride. Yeah. But it's in fact called The Bridal Chorus by German composer Richard Wagner. Okay. It is sometimes referred to as a wedding march, so that's not entirely incorrect. Uh But the piece of music entitled Wedding March is actually by Mendelssohn. Okay. That piece is the one you might more commonly associate with the recession down the aisle after the ceremony in many Western weddings. Yeah. That is called the wedding march. Oh, so like the da 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 is not the wedding march. The one, correct. The one that That's, they're singing in the episode. That's Here Comes the Bride. Because the lyrics are, Here Comes the Bride, all dressed in white. Big, fat, and wide. That's actually the title of that piece of music, listener. This is the thing you're going to want to remember. It's called Bridal Chorus. Mm. And you can correct anybody who tells you <laughs> that that's not not it. So these are two separate things that, gen- honestly, if you, I never thought about it. But I would have assumed that those were the same songs. They're not. But wow, two different things. They're very different. And ironically, Bridal Chorus was written for Wagner's opera in which the song Bridal Chorus is actually sung after the ceremony in the opera. No way. Yeah, to add insult to injury. Wait, wh- which opera? Um, it's called Longren. So this has just become like a tradition. They're just sampling this song from an opera. Yes. Like every other piece of like classic music that we use over and mm-hmm. over. They're almost tropes. Yes. They're, they're cliches at this point. They Correct. all come from they, just well, yeah, they're definitely operas cliches. They're or symphonies yeah. or something that was written hundreds of years ago. Yes. And I just, wow. I find it ironic that the song that everybody associates with the beginning of a wedding and the bride coming in mm-hmm. is not called Wedding March. It's called Bridal Chorus. And it was written for an opera after the wedding ceremony. And the piece of music called Wedding March is the one that the bride and groom usually leave. Yeah, that is kind of ironic. That's funny. It's weird. Wagner's piece was made popular when it was used as the processional, processional proceeding down the aisle, at the wedding of Victoria the Princess Royal to Prince Frederick William of Prussia in 1858. Okay. So a ton of people in the Western world still engage in a trend. That originated in 1858. I was thinking it had to be some kind That's of royalty. insane to me. It had to be somebody who set the trend. It was. And other people just went, I'm yeah, going to do, do that, that too. At my wedding. And yeah. that happened for and now it's been 150 a- yeah. years. That's fascinating. I thought it was cool. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I have to mention something mm-hmm. else too. Mm-hmm. Many religions don't use this song at all in wedding ceremonies or otherwise, chiefly because... Wagner's music is associated with Nazi Germany. <laughs> and it's pretty much forbidden in Israel. Wow. Well, that makes sense. Like they don't use any of his compositions in Israel. Cancel culture. <laughs> in the one instance where it's warranted. Yeah. Or I, one I of maybe a few. But a, now a you know. So wow. if you're listening to this and you're Israeli and you've never heard any of this music, that's why. Wow. 
I bet you've heard it, though, in something. Maybe. You consume American it, culture. I mean, yeah, pop culture. Yeah, Western culture. It's just, Western it's culture. so, it seeps into everything. It's almost, everything. it's weird now when there's music played that isn't that music. It's like, oh, Correct. what a A lot of people touch. will do um, Pachelbel's Canon in D for like a bridal processional. Yeah. I don't remember the songs. I think both of my sisters did their own unique songs for their walk down the aisle. Mm -hmm. It's nice. As long as it isn't that dancing song. Dancing song. Where they everybody dances down the aisle. I hate <laughs> that YouTube that viral video. That is Forever by Chris Brown. So back to Gerald's story. <laughs> this murderous bride, or not bride, then right in front of the police, jumps out the window to her death to avoid arrest. Why does she wait for the police to show That's up? That's what I was going to ask you. And why did the police show up? I guess to do a welfare Who check. Called somebody them? called them. Well, he did. What know. did he say? When the police showed up? When the police showed up. That's all so he says. So it could have been like days later. Right. Oh. <laughs> she could have been there for a long time. What if it was like two or Because they were on their honeymoon. Oh, mm -hmm. they missed their flight. Or whatever they were doing. Oh, they yeah, didn't, that's fair. They didn't get to whatever whatever destination mm -hmm. they were supposed to get to. This is like early, early 20th century. But nobody expected them home. Yikes. For a while. She could have been sitting there for like a week. Oh, that's my God. That's a whole other God. layer that I did not consider. Oh, man. <laughs> we're both just sitting in stunned <laughs> silence, which is exactly what you want for a podcast. I did not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Can so, you read our facial expressions right now? Holy that that is that is wow that is just ooky spooky. That's a lot. Mm -hmm. So Gerald says that every year on the anniversary of her crimes, the ghost bride rises from the grave in search of more victims. Mm. Curly is unimpressed with Gerald's retelling and is emphatic that he left out the most important part, which is that the anniversary of the horrible murders is that very night. Because if you're going to tell an urban legend and it has to do with you know midnight in the cemetery, it's got to be like tonight. Mm -hmm. It can't be last week. <laughs> no. You know what I mean? Because you missed That's true. It. You're right. You're right. We missed it. We missed it by a week. <laughs> <laughs> you missed the wheelbarrow on that one. So I have to take one last quick pause to break down the murder ballad that I mentioned earlier. Okay. So now that you guys are familiar with the concept of murder ballads, there is, in fact, an old murder ballad known as Twa Sisters or Two Sisters. Okay. This one dates back to at least the mid-17th century. Um, and it was chronicled in a broadside, so it was eventually like published, written down. Right. The first version was called something like The Miller and the King's Daughter, but it has a ton of different titles. And it's thought to have originated somewhere around England or Scotland, though extremely similar songs have been found all throughout Europe, mm -hmm. especially in Scandinavia. <laughs> in this ballad, two sisters go down by a body of water, sometimes a river, sometimes a sea, and the older one pushes the younger one in and refuses to pull her out again. So generally, the lyrics explicitly state that her intent is to drown her younger sister. And her motive, when it is included in the lyrics of a ballad, is jealousy. Hmm. In some variants, the sisters are being two-timed by a suitor. <sighs> in others, the elder sisters, basically, the younger the man that's with the younger sister doesn't uh, reciprocate the feelings of the older sister. Mm -hmm. But in some, they do. And in most versions, the older sister is described as dark, while the younger sister is fair. Mm -hmm. So kind of the dark and light elements at play. Yeah. So of the like murder ballad history here, like the timeline, this is probably one of the earliest examples of fortune telling because it 
I think it was a song about you and your sister. Ah. About how mm-hmm. you might be tempted to push Carrie into a body of water, like a like a yeah. like a river. I will probably say, like the Mississippi River, something perhaps, big and broad perhaps. that washes her out into the Gulf. I think this is probably Bruce is pretty on point. I feel like I jealousy. Interestingly, I don't feel like and Carrie, Carrie's probably listening to this. My mm-hmm. little sister can tell me if I'm wrong. <laughs> I don't feel like I've ever been outwardly jealous of her. Like I don't feel like there's been anything that I oh, would want to take from her. Sick burn. That's pretty that's take the high ground. Not in a bad way. We yeah, just yeah, yeah. we're I've we live very different lives. We're very different people. <laughs> we have very different interests. We have very different, you know, things that we care about and value. So it's like I've never yeah. And I wonder, I guess I could ask the same question of her. Like I don't if know. she feels that way about me. I don't you know, know what they say, the lady doth protest too much. So you <laughs> sounds like you're kind of um mm. guilty. <laughs> sounds yeah. like they were singing about you. <laughs> it is interesting though, because yeah, it's just us two sisters. Mm-hmm. I don't have any other siblings. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So in this ballad, when <laughs> you're the murder- just like moving forward, just moving yeah, on. I'm like, you gotta go somewhere. Just you know what? What he's saying doesn't matter. You're accusing me of murder, or at least conspiracy of, to murder. Yeah, just, you know. But yeah, I, gen- I genuinely have never. That, that's something that I have talked about before on here. <laughs> and like, when, our, when we go back to our childhood, like, uh, I never wanted to mess with her. I didn't want to bother her. I was just like, leave me alone. And she wanted to bother me. Mm-hmm. She picked on me a lot more as the younger sister for some reason than I ever picked on her. Lady doth protest too much. <laughs> Well, there are probably versions of this where the younger sister was the aggressor. And I'm just saying that would be more likely, okay? I think In my case. I think it's less likely. <laughs> so when the murdered girl's body floats ashore, you're going to like this. So listen to me. <laughs> I'm ready. Damn it. I'm ready. When the murdered girl's body floats ashore, someone makes a musical instrument out of it. Her body? Yes. Generally a harp or a fiddle with a frame of bone and the girl's long yellow hair or golden hair for strings. What the f- The instrument then plays itself and sings about the murder. What the f- In some versions, this occurs after the musician has taken it to the family's household so that the elder sister is publicly revealed and sometimes at her wedding to the murdered girl's suitor as the murderess. Knew you are going to like it. Christian's sitting there with his mouth open. <laughs> <laughs> why do I love this? It's wild. More than life itself. The variant titled The Two Sisters typically omits the haunted instrument entirely, ending instead with an unrelated person uh, robbing the murdered girl's corpse, sometimes being executed for it, and the older sister sometimes going unpunished, or sometimes being punished by being boiled in lead. Oh, you're going to have to send me your sources on this, because I need to I will. read more about this. I sure will. Um, it is, it's just like a very old murder ballad. There are many, 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 many versions. Mm -hmm. I can't be sure that the Hey Arnold creators were inspired by this story to create their legend of the ghost bride, but it does seem to be a theme of rivalry between sisters that goes back centuries. That sounds like a freaking William Faulkner short story. There is a Tennyson poem. Yeah. The two sisters. I didn't go into like a ton of research on that, but it is apparently like derived from this ballad well i've written a short story now based off of the green ribbon i've written a story based off of the haunted train the ghost train legends i'm now gonna write my own two sisters story i can't wait to read it it's gonna be southern <laughs> gothic don't as freaking hell. write it about me and my sister it it's won't not be about real. you i'll change the Jesus. names <laughs> i'll change the names protect the guilty nobody will know it's about you and your sister <laughs> <laughs> I love 
<laughs> Make a musical instrument out of the out of her body. I, I mean, know. I knew you were gonna lose your mind. Uh, this is akin to whenever I was gonna talk about the the horseman on um, the carriage of death in mm-hmm. the headless cabbie. I was like, this is the legend that's gonna get Christian's attention. These are things I need to know about. This is why we yeah. have this podcast so I can learn more about this stuff. Yeah. I'm just like, I can't even get comfortable now. I'm so excited. <laughs> I'm really glad that I was able to excite you. <laughs> uh, half aroused. <laughs> That's, yeah, pretty dark. <laughs> <laughs> so getting back to the episode. Not from where I'm sitting. The gang makes a plan to meet back at the cemetery at sundown to see if they can spot the ghost ride. Mm-hmm. And Harold vocalizes his fear, and Arnold reminds him that he doesn't have to go. <laughs> I love how You don't have like, to go, Harold. Says, you don't have to go. <laughs> like, he's just so over Harold's shit at this point. Yeah, he's like, Harold, you don't have to go. Yes, I do. If I don't, I'll be chicken. Well, I'm out of here. See you around, losers. Poor twisted little freak. So, what time do you guys want me to... Uh, Helga? It's kind of a boys-only thing. Yeah, kind of it's a boys-only thing. And then they all agree, including Harold... The scaredest of all of the scaredy cats, <laughs> who then says Helga would be too scared. Yeah, girls scare too easy. I recognize that they were going for irony with, like, the juxtaposition of Harold saying that on mm. the heels of, like, being scared himself. But I do want to acknowledge that it kind of takes some pretty mature mental gymnastics to, like, get the joke. Right. Uh, yeah. And to recognize that it is kind of ironic, satire, whatever, you know, it's tongue-in-cheek with... A lot of men say this about women, and really mm-hmm. it's true of them, them. You know, that's the commentary that they're making. Sure. But it's in a kid's show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and and strangely, I feel like at that age when I watched it, I got it, you know? Yeah. And I hope other girls did too. Obviously, this comes down to being a major plot point, though, because they didn't have any issue with Helga accompanying them to the haunted train. Right. So... This was just meant to be mainly a plot point for this episode because the next scene that we see is Helga plotting her revenge with a dress that she finds at her house. Maybe her mom's, maybe Mm. uh, her sister Olga's. I don't know. Yeah. And uh, a croquet mallet (laughs) and some makeup. Which is really interesting because you, I don't think you've read The Shining. No, I have not read it. I've watched it. Right. So there's the movie and there's the book and they're very different in the movie. Famously, we have... Jack Nicholson wielding an axe. Yes. In the book, it's something like a croquet mallet. Is it really? Mm-hmm. Whoa. It's not an axe. It's a mallet. Whoa. And that's what he uses to chase his family and attack his family. With a croquet mallet. Mm-hmm. I forget the exact game, but much more of a large hammer. So they were more spot on than they even, I mean, they probably did know, actually. Honestly, I wouldn't be surprised if they said, you know, what can we use? Oh, let's do the inverse of The Shining. Let's go from the axe back to the mallet. That's pretty great, actually. Isn't that, isn't that fantastic? Yeah. Who to thunk? Who to thunk? Anybody that read The Shining, that's who. Probably. <laughs> <laughs> so when the guys meet up that evening, Harold shows up last. And when he does show up, he is shaken in his boots. He says, I'm here. I'm scared and we're all going to die, but I'm not chicken. <laughs> because to a fourth grade boy, I suppose there is a fate worse than death. <laughs> right, because they're all still nine years old somehow. Mm-hmm. Perpetually. Perpetually. So they enter the cemetery, which Helga, now wearing a white gown and makeup, like I said, she locks the gate behind them. Mm-hmm. And they find the ghost bride's gravestone, which says, Here lies Cynthia Smith. She lived her life and went straight to... I can't read the rest. What is I can't that? read the rest. I can't read the rest. <laughs> <laughs> hell, everybody. Hell. Hell. She went straight to hell. It's that classic all dogs go to heaven nonsense. Yes, because they say don't hell. say the word. They don't say the word. But 
we but it's can, funny. We can surmise. Do you want to hear the? So there are a bunch of gravestones, and I couldn't read all of them. It was a lot of like R.I.P. I saw the word ever mm. written on a lot of different gravestones. I don't know what it would have like said. Like forever? I don't know. Like it was the first word, capital E. Ever oh. after? I don't know. Evermore. Ooh, you know what? That's probably it. One said, he slipped. R.I.P. <laughs> <laughs> um, that's funny. Another. <laughs> he's, he's, that would be on my team. It's just so like, That's all I get. He slipped, R.I.P. I kind of want mine just to say, he died. <laughs> you know? Another um, one said, broken head, broken heart. Whoa. Isn't that one heavy? Whoa. I just like how vague it is. Broken head, broken heart. Broken head, broken heart. What if you heart. flipped it? What if, what if it said broken heart, broken head? Same difference. And just to me, that gives a different connotation. It like is, the heartbreak led to the crazy. That's our ghost bride. Exactly. That's our jilted that's bride. Why it, that's yeah. why the flipping of it occurred to me. But man. And then the last one I could read, which I think may be an actual Easter egg, but I didn't have time to look it up. Because I did it five minutes before we <laughs> sat. Nicely we done. We met to record, <laughs> you know, as usual. It said, 1999, dearly departed M.S. Lee. Hmm. So we can look that up and see if that's anybody. But I, I didn't will. have time. We definitely will. It's not ringing a bell for what I've read. But that does not mean that it, it was probably someone that was important to the creators that passed before Hey Arnold really took off. Mm -hmm. Wow. Broken head, okay. broken heart. Damn. Well, Story of my life. <laughs> I was going to say, that's probably what mine would say if I'm being honest. Woo! So at this point, they all get really nervous and stuttery. And as the sun finally begins to set, they agree. No, no ghost bars around here. <laughs> no, none of them. I don't see any. I reckon we done prove there's no ghost bride and we can go home. And they've decided they've proven that there's no ghost and they all agree to head home. Uh, not because they're scared or chicken, though. No, because there's no ghosts. Because yeah. there's there's no ghosts. They're wasting their time. Mm -hmm. Only to find that the She's gate is locked. We're all gonna die. She's gonna hack us to pieces with her big bloody ass. Here, oh my God. They over and over they say this over and over. We can clock it over and over. <laughs> clock it. Arnold, always with his level head. <laughs> God bless Arnold. I know. Suggests that they find an alternate exit. And on the way, they hear a distant humming. Again, with the wedding march business, which, listener, you now know is false falsehoods. The bridal chorus. Arnold, still grasping at the threads of normalcy, claims that it could easily be a visitor to the cemetery who just happens to be humming the wedding march. Right. Duh. <laughs> Even he, though, is faltering a little bit at this point. It's now that Helga picks her moment and appears behind Arnold standing on a mausoleum, veil blowing in the wind, and raises what appears to be an axe, an but axe. is presumably a croquet mallet, over her head menacingly. And I've got to hand this prank to Helga, because figuring out how to light how to light it exactly <laughs> right and like getting the shadows perfect to like pull it off and obscure her identity yeah. is really impressive. And how she got her eyes to, to glow like that is pretty, yeah. pretty wild. I, man... <laughs> Hats off to you, Helga. But it's you as can far do as, special effects on my next film. As far as frightening imagery goes in animation, pretty scary image. Agreed. Absolutely agreed. Pretty frightening. It'll stick in the noggin. It'll stick in the noggin like an axe. Like an axe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you beat me to it. <laughs> <laughs> Damn. So 
The guys take off running. They're screaming in terror, um, and they make it to the north gate, which just as they get there also swings shut. And we see, as the audience, that Helga has thought this through as well because she's operating it with a rope. So again, like props to Helga. She has committed and she's following Pretty elaborate pulley system, yeah. I am impressed. It reminds me of, uh, (laughs) harkens back to the uh, booby traps of the Goonies. (laughs) It does, right? With the older rope pulleys. Helga was doing some studying. Helga has seen the Goonies. Oh, totally. By then, (laughs) and I really appreciate her cackle Uh that she gets to do like three or four times. Yeah, it's good. I, I love that too. It's fun. The guys regroup only to hear the ominous humming again, but- LOL, it's just Eugene <laughs> who says it's a catchy tune. <laughs> it's so catchy. He's he's always like the red herring scare. Like he always. was that in the Tap um, dancing in the clock clog Gabby. dancing at night in the park. Clog I don't dancing, remember. yeah. Clog dancing. Always Eugene. That sweet gay little boy. <laughs> I love him. He is, and that's he's just the best. Yeah. Helga's able to spook them one more time before she begins to hear humming herself. Mm. So she immediately follows them, confesses the whole thing. And her, her plans to get back at them for their sexism, for not letting her come because she's a girl. <laughs> and they're they're like, no, we're not gonna, no, we're not gonna believe you because you you lied on you lied before. So we're not. Why would we believe you? But also, why would she lie at this point? Because we're again? scared of our emotions and we're afraid. And when we're 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 men, we're boys. And we're so being when, called out on being wrong. We when don't like we that. are afraid, we have to project the blame onto somebody else because we don't get to feel fear we don't we're not allowed to feel not fear allowed. so we have How to show insightful. anger we have to Instead. threaten to beat her as harold mm-hmm. says i should mm-hmm. pound you i should pound you mm-hmm. but while they argue the real ghost bride approaches and terrifies them all shrouded mm. in white mist so they trip over one another and they barricade themselves in a mausoleum and at this point i'm thinking why was i so familiar as so familiar with mausoleums as a kid like, it just made sense. I just knew what a mausoleum was. Mm-hmm. But from the inside of this mausoleum, they watch through the keyhole as the ghost bride paces in front of the doors and the night creeps on and Arnold finally decides that he's fed up and he needs to find a way out. Mm-hmm. And after no one volunteers to go with him, it's just, you know, crickets, he promises that he's going to find a way out and come back for them. What a hero, Arnold. Always the level head. Gerald finally agrees to accompany him because being with all the dead people is kind of freaking him out, mm-hmm. which they said, too. They they mentioned the fact that they were surrounded by dead people multiple times yep. while mm-hmm. they were in the mausoleum. So much death. So much death. Somehow the ghost bride doesn't notice that Arnold and Gerald have emerged from the mausoleum and are following her through the graveyard. She goes back to the mausoleum and breaks down the door just in time for Arnold to reach up and remove her mask Scooby-Doo style. It was so Scooby-Doo. So Scooby-Doo. I loved it. And it's just curly. Curly. (laughs) And Eugene can't believe how good he looks in that dress. (laughs) I was like, wow. All right. We're pushing the envelope here with uh, Eugene. It's just representation. I get it. I love it. I'm just saying they they were testing the waters because they had nothing to lose. Right. Yeah. This was the end. So they all ask Arnold, like, how he knew that it was Hmm. Curly. And Arnold explains that he figured it out because he saw Curly's red striped socks when they were (laughs) following the ghost bride through the graveyard. It was a nice touch. It just... It was like that... It was just I mean, very Scooby-Doo, like, I knew it when this happened. Yeah. Curly says that he wanted to get back at them for not letting him tell the story because Gerald always gets to, and it's not fair, which Mm -hmm. Gerald is good at it, like... Let people play to their strengths, Curly. Let this be Gerald's thing, please. For the love of God. Curly, you know what? He's just a 
he's just got the school shooter vibe. <laughs> like I hate to say it, but he just yeah. does. Like he's got the like, it's not fair. Everything's about yeah. me. I'm the victim yeah. always. I'm like, the victim and the center of the world. Always the, the victim. He always finds a way. And he feels justified in doing crazy stuff. He he will go and this so is far. Really the least of the crazy for Curly. Mm-hmm. <laughs> or one of them. Yeah. We may be also seeing some of the reason why Curly is the way he is because the gang then decides that in retribution for this essentially harmless prank, it's a good idea to tie Curly up and leave him alone in the mausoleum. This was definitely off for me. Yeah, me too. Arnold would have said no. Arnold would not have gone along with this. I agree with that. If this was, was not a character. final season, mm-hmm. if this wasn't like, let's just do what we have to do to finish this up and get done. It was out of character. It was very were, out of character. There were he conversations like... Um, in message boards online that were like, do you think Curly actually did die when he was left in the mausoleum? Does he appear again? And he does appear in, a, like, oh, I think, an episode after this. Um, so it isn't canon that he would be gone. But it is pretty intense for some kids to do to somebody. Yeah. And it, uh, I agree, Is it feels a little out of character for Arnold to agree to something like this. But They would have all wanted to, but he would have been like, no, it's not worth it. Like it's not. Right. Yeah, just let him go. It's just Curly. Yeah, that's exactly what he said. It's just Curly. It's just Curly. But instead, Arnold does go along with it. And as they head home, they all kind of start to doubt it. Like, maybe we shouldn't have done that. Maybe we should help him. Yeah. And Arnold says that it should only take him about half an hour before he realizes that it only locks from the inside. Yeah, but he's bound by rope. He's exactly. tied up. It's intense. <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't recommend doing this. Uh, listener, don't try this at home. And then we close on Curly, who is tariff. Buzz is yelling about it. Buzz agrees. Buzz thinks this was I an hear injustice. I heard him. Yeah. <laughs> Curly, who is terrified in the mausoleum, where he once again hears the humming of the Helga? ghost bride. Is that you? Come on, this isn't a joke. Let me out. Come on, Helga. Helga. Mm-hmm. And he blames Helga, but we see Helga with the others, so yeah, we, we know, know it's not Helga. It's not Helga. It's the real ghost bride. So very similar to the ending of. Um, well, both episodes we've covered. Yeah, so I was far, actually going to say ghost that train, toward the end. Haunted train and uh, had the scabby. Yes, that sort of twist ending of like maybe it is real. It's what Christian and I like to call listener a spinning top ending. Mm-hmm. Spinning top <laughs> because of the movie uh, Inception. Yeah, <laughs> because all of the episodes hauntings in each of these cases are dispelled with like very real logical, real world sources. These yeah. are the reasons why this happened. Up until that tag at the very end when each scary thing, haunting monster, returns to make you second guess the resolution. Puts a big old question mark right there. But before we close, I have a few other things I want to talk about. All right. I would like to explore some of the other corners of the internet that the ghost bride led me to. So like Christian said before, one of the only other axe-wielding brides that I could think of that I know of, Buzz, man, he is mad, (laughs) is... Uh, Constance Hatchaway from the Haunted Mansion attraction at the Disney parks. Yeah, buddy. Constance has technically been present since the ride first opened at Disneyland in 1969. She first just appeared as what we would call the beating heart bride because her red beating heart was the most prominent attribute of Mm -hmm. the figure. Yeah. Constance is said to haunt the attic of the Haunted Mansion, reciting her vows with a hatchet in hand. She's surrounded by wedding photos of her with five different husbands, and in each one, the head of her beloved appears and reappears. It's so spooky. She's also placed next to five hat boxes, presumably where their decapitated heads are kept, which the Mm. hat box ghost 
if you're familiar with the Haunted Mansion yeah. at all, has a head that disappears and reappears into the hat box. All of this um, will be described in detail when we do our eventual Haunted exactly. Mansion attraction yeah. episode. That is the last sentence I have. I'm going to leave okay. a lot of the details about <laughs> Constance Hatchaway for our episode on the yeah. Haunted Mansion, which we will eventually do. So if you're a Disney Parks person, you'll appreciate that. That's something that's been really important to like strangely my family and like mm-hmm. um i've always yeah. loved the haunted mansion but that's gonna be fun again, it was just one of the first things that came to mind when i thought of ghost bride me too but changing gears entirely when searching ghost bride on the internet most search results will bring you to a chinese tradition i had never heard of this a day in my life so apologies for my ignorance on this but in general chinese culture it is shameful to be the parents of an unwed daughter Mm-hmm. And unmarried girls are often shunned from society. And of course, this may not be as true in modern times, but it was more true historically. Right. Because this was such a shameful station in life, I guess, to be an unwed woman, unwed girl, mm-hmm. they would often perform ghost bride wedding ceremonies between deceased people. What? So they would marry deceased people to one another. Um, Excuse me? Post- Humously after death. Mm-hmm. Um, pardon me? For men, ghost marriages were often performed for the sake of progeny. So basically to keep their family line, their family name active. Oh. And it let that lineage carry on. Wow. Chinese tradition also says that younger brothers don't marry before their older brothers. So mm-hmm. sometimes a ghost marriage would be performed to stay in line with the <sighs> hierarchy of the family. I do love the spiritual, the supernatural element. Like, I do think it's beautiful. Yeah, it's interesting. But it is so tragic. Mm-hmm. An unmarried woman in this tradition was basically not able to be honored in the afterlife because, like, usually a woman when they're married would then have her image on the altar of her husband's family when they died, like the mm. kind of the prayer altar. It's similar to kind of a, um, like a Spanish okay. tradition, yeah. I guess, in that way, if you're familiar with that at all. I think it's at least similar enough to my mm-hmm. Western ignorant self um, to make, yeah, we don't know. make it make sense. But they usually have an altar with the images of the deceased loved ones and the lineage of the family, etc. And when you're married, mm-hmm. your image goes with your husband on your husband's family's altar. I see. But the family of origin, like your family of origin, if you're female, was not allowed to have a permanent place on your altar for an unmarried daughter. Oh, okay. They were kind of shunned even in the afterlife. So... <laughs> All right. They, they say... Um, ghost marriages are often set up by request of the spirit of the deceased who, upon finding themselves without a spouse in the other world, cause misfortune for their natal family to basically indicate to them that they need to get them married. So it's a presumption made on the part of the living. It's a presumption made on the part of the living that it's the fault of the unwed These things are happening because they're unhappy. Right. Sometimes it's uh, the form of sickness by one or more of the family members. Um, oh, and when okay. that sickness isn't cured by medicine or ordinary means, the family, you know, turns to divination and can learn that the ghost is having trouble in the afterlife without a spouse. So this is just human nature. This isn't even just Western culture to uh, make these assumptions about like supernatural Oh, no, things. it's definitely not just a Western thing at all. It's very much more world culture. We see this with like earliest uh, vampirism yeah. of like incurable disease. Oh, it's a vampire. It's a vampire. Oh, mm-hmm. let's dig up everybody in the in the graveyard no. and see who has, you know, received Pretty gums. much universally. This is universal human something nature. Something couldn't be explained in the 
in on our plane, people would turn to supernatural reasons. There's some like unrest. Um, yeah, somebody is not at peace. It's unfinished business in a way. There's definitely a lot more you can read about that. I only, you know, got to read one or two sources on that, but it was a whole rabbit hole in and of itself. Ghost brides in China, wow. like fascinating. There are other cultures that do this, but that was, I think, like the primary hmm. place where it's like most common. If anybody knows more about this, or if you know anybody who's been involved in it, or you personally mm -hmm. with your lineage, I'd love to hear about it. Oh God. Yeah. Tell us. This is way Please. cool. Okay. So this is one that I actually mentioned to Christian before we started recording for this episode. Oh, There's yeah. one more urban legend that goes by the name of the lost bride, bride and go seek. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the mistletoe ball, the mistletoe bride, the bride in the chest, the bride in the trunk. Um, if you're familiar with any of these, it's all kind of the same thing. But in this yeah. legend, uh, a young newlywed is playing hide and go seek with children or guests after her wedding mm -hmm. and accidentally locks herself in a trunk in the attic. And then days and days go by where the groom and her family end up filing a missing person's report, but she mm -hmm. isn't found until like years later when her mother right. passes away and the family's cleaning out the attic <sighs> and they find her dead and shriveled in the trunk. Yeah, God. Crazy. There are several, several variants of this story, but one of them takes place in um, Palm Beach, Florida in like the 70s. Really? But the legend itself is like- Like a documented- Yeah, like a like a, a version of the story <laughs> from Palm Beach, Florida. That makes me think of like Robert the Doll yeah, being down in the museum for in Florida. Sure. <laughs> but there, it goes back at least 200 years. 200 years. I want to say this was in Alvin Schwartz, mm. Scary Stories to Tell in the Dark. Maybe he wrote about this. It I don't, very well could have I could been. Be wrong I did not see that. that because I only pulled a couple of examples. That sounds like something he would write. I kind of try to go back to the beginning. Mm -hmm. So one of the earliest versions found in print is an anonymous newspaper article published in 1809. It's entitled A Melancholy Occurrence. Ooh. It opens with the announcement of a singular and calamitous event in Germany, an incident long involved in the deepest mystery. And it ends with the discovery of a crumbling skeleton in an old forgotten trunk in which a newlywed bride had inadvertently locked herself and miserably perished years before. But probably the best known version of this story is an English ballad, still sung at Christmas time by some people, uh, called The Mistletoe Ba, which was written so dark. Uh, by Thomas Haynes Bailey and oh, set to man. music by Sir Henry Thomas around 1830. No way. All right. So there's just, again, a song about the death of this <laughs> yeah. girl in a trunk. There was something in recent, something I watched that was, that was live action that I think used this legend. Yeah. Uh, but I don't yeah. remember what it was. Like somebody does this on like a, like a wedding day. But they are, I think they are discovered. They are discovered. Somebody locks himself. Oh, man. I feel like, like there are a lot of sitcoms where like somebody almost doesn't make it to the wedding. Yeah, it was something. It was like, it was that kind of trope. Like they almost didn't make it to the wedding. Yeah. But then they find them and they're like, oh, no, thank honestly, God. This because is I could have died too. in there. <laughs> I can't think of what that is, though. Kind of like when um, Ross's baby is being born on Friends and they lock themselves they're in, locked the in the closet. closet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Kind of like being locked inside of an old refrigerator. Yeah. Because <laughs> they don't mm. open from the inside. <laughs> Glad they fixed that feature. Definitely. So I've got just a few real world bridal ghost stories left. Oh, yeah. Um, I've been waiting for this for like two hours. Yeah. These were compiled by the very lovely blog at notebookofghosts.com. 
All right. And I copied them down pretty much exactly. So I'm citing my sources. This was notebookofghosts.com. We're going to read your stuff, notebookofghosts.com. Thanks for contributing to our podcast. I loved it personally. Thank you for doing that. Yeah. And I also think it's about damn time that I let Christian read some stuff. So I'm going to send him some things. Each of them begin with the location and a quick summary of the ghost stories that have been reported by folks in said location. I'm so excited. So I have just sent Christian his first. Oh, shit. All right. First one. New Orleans. Here we go. Dauphine Orleans Hotel, New Orleans, Louisiana. (laughs) A young courtesan named Millie worked in May's Place, a bar in the Dauphine Orleans Hotel. The morning of her wedding, her groom-to-be was shot dead in a gambling dispute. Millie, from that point on and even after death, walked around the bar in her wedding dress. She still walks around the Dauphine in her wedding dress today, waiting for her fiancé to return. That's pretty good. She was left behind. That's pretty good. You know what? That's why you don't gamble in a bar in New in uh, New Orleans <laughs> when you don't know what you're doing. Yeah, it didn't have a t- time frame on that, but I would really like to go to the Dauphin Hotel, the Dauphin New Orleans Hotel. It still exists. Yeah, we should definitely make cool. that part of our- New Orleans Well, trip. I mean, we've been meaning to go to New Orleans anyway and do God, like ghost tours and stuff. That's been something that I've always wanted to do. And I just, I've been in New Orleans dozens of times in my life and just have never gotten to do the ghost tours. So Christian and I have always, and that was like something we said we were going to do for my 30th birthday and mm-hmm. well, we you kept haven't done it. putting it off. I kept putting it off because of and the, then you went the to, COVID. And then you went to Orlando. And so I was like, I well, did go to Orlando. you do that funny. and I'll go to Salem and then we'll just do our separate things. That's fine. Uh, one day it's we'll go. fine. One day we'll go. That's fun though. We can go gamble at the Dolphin Hotel and get hey, shot hey. and killed. No, not that. Never that. The morning of her wedding. The Driscoll Hotel in Austin, Texas. All right. They say that room 525 is haunted by two brides. Allegedly, two different young women ended their lives in this room Mm. on their honeymoons 20 years apart. Whoa. The room was closed for a time and then eventually reopened for renovations. And the renovations brought about some paranormal activity, including apparitions, weird sensations, unexplained leaks, distant voices, and other odd noises. Damn, that feels that feels so much like The Shining. Yeah, it's so <laughs> strange to think that like twenty years apart. Twenty years apart. Apparently, two different brides there were two different brides that on their honeymoon into their lives. That's crazy. That's so dark. <laughs> I just sent you the next one. Mm. Hotel Galvez, Galveston, Texas. Since her death in the 1950s, a ghost bride haunts room 501 in Hotel Galvez. Her fiancé was a mariner, and she, when expecting his return, would watch the sea from the hotel. One tragic day, she watched as his ship sank and soon ended her life. He had actually survived and returned to heartbreak. She still walks the halls, scaring guests. One guest in room 501 abruptly left the hotel at 3 a.m. in tears. Damn. Mm-hmm. I want to know why. Listener, if you have any experience with any of these, definitely let us know. That reminds me of like the history of a widow's peak on top of a house. Oh, yeah. That's part of that like legend yeah. and lore of like they existed because women could stand on mm-hmm. top of their houses at the, in the, at the widow's peak and, and like see. watch their men's ships sink from the shore. Yeah. Um, I don't even know why that was part of it, but like- You're right though. I remember that. Or it was like named after a legend of a woman who watched her husband sink in his ship mm-hmm. from her widow's quote, unquote, peak. Widow's peak. 
sure. of her home. That's, mm. that's, that's wild. I love that. Oh, this happened and happens at City Tavern in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. A bride and her bridesmaids were preparing for the wedding when one bridesmaid accidentally knocked over a candle, setting the curtains on fire. Mm. The fire spread throughout the tavern, taking the lives of the bride and her bridesmaids. The ghost of the bride is active today, especially during wedding events at the tavern. Some wedding photographers have even reported seeing her apparition appearing next to the living bride when looking oh. through the camera viewfinder, although no one has caught her on film. Damn. Whoa. Lots of energy goes into a wedding, lots of emotion, as mm-hmm. we've said, and it just creates somehow, sometimes, somehow these imprints. Yeah, it does. Mm. That's wild. Usually it's like you don't see them when you're in the moment, but you captured them in photographs right. later. It's weird. It's wild. It also reminds me of the Burning Bride of Alexandria. Have you heard of this before? No. Um, I believe bride. it's in Virginia. It's something that's really popular. It's told over and over again. There are hmm. different versions of this too, but it's very similar where a bride catches fire the night before her wedding. Basically, she spills kerosene on her dress yeah. and burns to death. Wow. Which is awful. But there are lots of versions of that too in a similar like death by fire kind of fashion. And I don't know why I knew of that, but whenever I saw this, it also like struck a chord and I was like, yeah. the burning bride of Alexandria. I don't know why that hmm. phrase was in my head. Long Island Campgrounds, Bolton Landing, New York. The state campground has 90 sites over 100 acres. In the 1960s, a new husband and wife decided it was the perfect location for their honeymoon. They were allegedly murdered in their sleep while camping. The bride now wanders the grounds, looking for her husband among the living campers. That is scary as hell. For some and reason, that one I really messed would, me up. <laughs> I don't know that I would ever do that. Go camping yeah, there? I don't know. I wouldn't. I don't think I could. I don't think I could handle the the idea of like seeing the fingers swiping across my like no. tent, oh, God. you know, as you're oh, trying to God, go to sleep. No. No, no, no. Hear the scratching. No. See, that's the real life version of this Ghost Bride episode that we're seeing where the kids are in the cemetery and everything and, you know, they're alone. That's the adult, like, grown up version. Go to that campground. You want to do it? No. You want to make that part of our, like, road trip <laughs> tour? We, I don't. We take? I have no desire to camp anyway. We go camp <laughs> one night at the Long Island campgrounds in Bolton Landing, New York. Oh, God. See if the bride shows up to see if one of us is her, her dead husband. Man. Terrifying. Yowza. Terrifying. That is that one is scary. That one's terrifying. Yeah, for some reason that one really gets, got to me when I was reading through them. That was the one that I thought about later. The next one is from Phelps Grove Park in Springfield, Missouri. Mm-hmm. They say that, and this is very similar to like our prom queen episode. We talked about a lot of this lore. Yeah. When driving over a bridge in Phelps Grove Park, a newly married couple lost control of the car and both perished. Mm. The bride still haunts the location, and she can be seen holding the hem of her wedding dress. Her face is only darkness. Oh, wow. You see her just like dripping water like she climbed out of the water. I know. Is it water? Or am I just thinking prom queen? Actually. I'm just thinking prom queen like the whole river thing. No, it says over bridge. So presumably water, but. Yeah. We said the word presumably a lot of times. Presumably. I have two more. Okay. I'm going to read the next one. I'm going to let you read the last one. The last one's a little bit more involved. It's like a whole story, but I think it's the most relevant to the ghost bride story that we have been talking about today. All right, I'm ready. At Baker Mansion in Altoona, Pennsylvania, again with Pennsylvania, you guys Mm -hmm. have a lot of ghost brides up there. (laughs) 
Congratulations. Anna Baker, the daughter of the rich Elias Baker, fell in love with a local seal worker. Her father forbade her to marry him because he was of lower class, and she died alone. Mm. Much later, the Baker Mansion in Altoona was made into a museum, and a wedding dress was put on display in a glass case in Anna's bedroom. What was Anna's bedroom? Oh. When there is a full moon, the dress violently shakes, sometimes to the point of almost breaking the glass. Myth says this is because she's so angry that she never got to wear a wedding dress and therefore is shaking it in anger. Yeah, thrashing it about. Some people also report seeing it dance by itself. Oh no! (laughs) No! Yeah. No! Yep. I've not seen it. <laughs> oh my god, why did that get under my skin? Why did that dig into my soul so much? This is literally like the part of the episode. This is the part of the podcast where we literally are just sitting around a campfire telling ghost stories. Oh my god. You see it in this glass case just like mm-hmm. swaying back swaying. and forth. Just like shuffling. Yeah. Its shoulders a little it's doing, doing the wallflower uh, shuffle. Uh, 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 uh. <laughs> It's a lot. I'm out of there. I'm gone. (laughs) Same. I wouldn't even probably go in on a full moon. I'm out of there. Some small town, North Dakota. Wasn't specified. The book Haunted America by Michael Norman and Beth Scott tells a spooky story of sisterly jealousy in the 1930s. Sisters Lorna May and Carol were complete opposites. Lorna May... The youngest sister was strong, cheerful, and a hard worker. The older sister, Carol, was reportedly more attractive, grumpy, and lazy. They both fell in love with a widower with three children, Ben. Ben chose Lorna May to be his wife, imagining the both of them working side by side on the farm. Carol was very angry. Shouldn't he be with the prettier one? Shortly before the wedding, Lorna May suffered abdominal pains. Carol was nearby and was sent to get the doctor. She returned saying she could not find a doctor in town. It's believed she lied and even dawdled in town. Lorna May was rushing to town, but died of a ruptured appendix shortly after arriving, and Carol set out to marry Ben. She even demanded the undertaker to remove the wedding dress from Lorna May's dead body before the burial. I know exactly where this is going. Uh Aha. A month after the funeral, Carol was able to convince Ben to marry her. The wedding was mid-July, in 100-degree heat. Carol looked beautiful in Lorna May's high-neck wedding dress. During the festivities, though, Carol began to sway and grab at her throat. She died in Ben's arms. The autopsy revealed that it could not be heat stroke. The wedding dress had absorbed some of the embalming fluid while on Lorna May. The hot weather caused Carol to sweat, which opened her pores and allowed the fluid to enter. Formaldehyde. Yep. That is a scary story to tell in the dark. (laughs) Alvin Schwartz story. Yeah. For sure. That one is retold many, many places, many times. And it reminded me so much of this Ghost Bride episode that I had to include it. That one's good. That one's good. That's one of our That is a classic urban legend. I love that. I don't know that that's scientifically possible, but... The wedding dress and the embalming eh. fluid. 
Yeah. I've also, I think I've heard it told as a prom dress too. Oh, I would, that makes sense too. Yeah. That may be the one I'm actually familiar with. There's so many ghost stories and it's alarming a little bit how many are related to brides, but thinking about that, that's one of the bigger events in a person's, you know, life story. It makes sense that there is a lot of emotion and passion and, you know, residual feelings around a wedding. So, yeah, well, like so much anticipation and expectation too. Anticipation, yeah, for sure. Same That's things we discussed word. with the prom queen about how the prom like, night. It's a big deal. Yeah, from your perspective. Yeah, it's the biggest night. Yeah, it makes or breaks your reputation, right? Your whole high school experience is wrapped up in one evening. Yeah. And to be killed on your prom night, same thing with your wedding. To be murdered or to die before the wedding can ever be experienced, it Mm -hmm. leaves that mark, that unfinished business of like- Yeah, it's very, very intense. A huge, huge event that was never realized. Yeah. It it leaves a hole in the universe, right? This like, uh, a a rip in the veil of this like, liminal spectrum. Pun intended. You know what we're all about here. (laughs) (laughs) It's always for the pun. It's always for the joke. (laughs) So, yeah, like like you said before, like it ends with that, you know, haunting- ghostly humming mm-hmm. just like mm-hmm. haunted training headless cabbie end mm-hmm. with the ghost mm-hmm. kind of coming back i think that this has kind of shaped my thinking about fiction and ghost stories in life for better or worse because yeah. in each instance they're kind of letting us know that despite being proven safe and innocent uh, in the context of the episode we still shouldn't let our guard down because there are always going to be things that can't be explained Hey-o. And if the conditions are just right, and you can quiet the world on the right night at the right moment, it's possible that you can still hear the lady hunting for her Scotty dog, <laughs> or the whistle of a haunted train, or the hum of a ghost bride. Damn, you said it. It's a classic ghost <laughs> story. Are you you safe? You're safe. Aren't you? Are you safe? You're safe. I don't know. And then somebody jumps out of the Are you woods and scares you at the campfire if you're in the Midnight Society. And that just makes me think of Courage the Cowardly Dog all over again. Absolutely. Probably because we're just stuck in that mindset of preparing episodes. We're in the episodes. courage time, friends. But we are in the courage time. Yeah. You just you just said it perfectly. Wow. That's so great. So that's Hey Arnold and the Ghost Bride. Damn. You guys did not <laughs> expect that. I had so much to say about the Ghost Bride. It was really like scary, haunting, like looking this stuff up because again, it is so emotional. And really putting yourself in the shoes of these people, it's like terrible. Even putting yourself in the shoes of Cynthia Snell, Mm -hmm. that's terrible. Really hard to imagine, mostly because all of your friends and family betrayed you and didn't tell you that you were being left at the altar. Right. How How much family did she have? Like, if her only family was her sister, that kind of checks out. But somebody still should have told her because they all went to the sister's wedding instead. Right. Poor Cynthia. Poor, poor. She lived her life. Cynthia. Just went straight to... Oh, we don't know where she went. It's still obscured. Yeah, I can't see what that says. (laughs) God, it's hard to tell. It's always hard to tell. So before we close out, should we shout out some of our patrons? Oh, hell yeah. Did you you make a list? Because I forgot. I have a list. I have a list. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Rapid fire. Let's go. Okay, listeners. So we are going to shout out some of our patrons. If you would like to be shouted out in one of our episodes, you can go contribute to our Patreon. 
Uh, it is linked to wherever we link to things. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to be posting bonus stuff. Like we said, there are probably plenty of moments from this episode that we had to chop out for time. Absolutely. Um, and we're going to start compiling those over there as editing Christian has time and space. There is at least one bonus episode over there so far, but we're going to also do episode previews. Mm-hmm. Um, lots of fun stuff over there. We're just going to talk a little bit more candidly, basically. We're going to keep populating it. Yeah, it's we're just getting started. So forgive us that, but Please. it's going to be a lot of fun once we really get things rolling out. I mean, we have stuff even from this episode that's going to go. Mm-hmm. I can't wait. And um, as I kind of have said before, you're not only, you know, buying access to these bonus things, but you're also supporting the work that we do, researching, editing, putting together this content in general. So if it's content that you enjoy um, and you like to support creators and you have the funds to do that, which is also mm-hmm. um you know, not everybody's able and that is perfectly fine. But if you are and you want to, we will shout you out. Yeah. And you can find that at patreon.com slash TPD podcast. Nice. So some of our patrons are Charles P. Chris G. Alicia L. Rusty W. Rusty Wrench. What's up, man? <laughs> uh, Susie and Jacob P. Ben M. Amber T. Uh, Rory F. Jessica R. And Josh M. Last but not least, today. Thanks, Josh. Right? Today? Yeah, yesterday? Today? today, yesterday. I don't know. We really appreciate you, all of you. Um, I have some really great, you know, people in my life that are supporting it, and that's amazing. And also, you know, people that are just, you know, finding the podcast, which is yeah. amazing. Of the folks that we know, these are all your people. None of my people have, <laughs> none of my my people people have like us better. <laughs> I keep telling people, the like one of the people I told, I'll tell you later who it was, he said, <laughs> but what are you giving us in return? <laughs> well, if you have that attitude, we like, might well, not be. The if you listen to our you. podcast, the whole podcast is is one thing. Um, but I guess you don't listen, so it's fine. Yeah. Oh, <laughs> anyway, well. but for those of you who have given, thank you so much. I truly can't tell you what it means to us. It is so so appreciated, and. Again, we do have that kind of guilt of like, what are we providing? Um, if you signed up within the first two weeks, which unfortunately the deadline for that has passed, but if you sign up in the first two weeks, we're going to get you, um, you may even have it by now, a personalized postcard and um, sticker while supplies last. And we'll probably be doing other um, mm-hmm. offers like that in the future. So if you missed out, don't think that you don't have the opportunity because I'm sure we can make it happen again. We'll keep on teasing you guys with the stuff that we're um, yeah, including as we on our Patreon so that we can we'll you tempt you. To give us uh, your $5 a month. Man, now that we've advertised (laughs) ourselves for forever. Uh, But that was it. Wow. What an episode. Yeah, what a time. Well, when you guys are hearing this, uh, I will be partway through um, a movie that I'm working on. So wish me luck. Cheer me on. Mm -hmm. I'm probably dying and ready for it to end so I can Mm -hmm. get back to doing this fun stuff. (laughs) This is really what's just fueling my fires right now we love when christian does movies because he has all kinds of fun experiences that he can bring back but we also <laughs> love him doing the podcast so. yeah i can do a movie recap <laughs> yeah uh, for, we'll uh, do that for patreon for fun just for fun the last movie i worked really had way more fun stories than any other i've ever worked so man maybe we can share some of those on Patreon. maybe i can do that we one can too just be be pretty candid just over there, like nonsense saying, so. it was just absolute nonsense for like a month straight <laughs> Um, but yeah, guys, thanks for listening. This was a lot of fun. I love ghost stories. I cannot get enough of these old ghost stories. And of course, when there's true crime involved, even better. Yep. Lots of crossover. History, legends, lore, all of it. I cannot get enough. We appreciate you. We'll see you next time. Keep it spooky, guys. Yeah. And um, never really alone, I guess. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> you guess. Guess. <laughs> Bye. Bye, y'all.
Thanks for listening to That's Pretty Dark, written and produced by Christian Baxter Mott and Kaylin Andrews. Our music is composed by Jonathan Simmons, and our art is provided by Paige Garland at Power Girl Illustration. Join the collective nostalgia and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at That's Pretty Dark Podcast. Share your experiences and let us know what shows, films, or villains still haunt you from childhood at That's Pretty Dark Podcast at gmail.com. Remember, you're never really alone. So, until next time, sweet dreams, everyone. <laughs>